So I've got a lot to go through with you here this morning. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 36, and our 32, sorry. Exodus chapter 32, and we'll jump right on into it. Exodus 32. It says in verse 1, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, as I read this, is it possible today, this is a question that came into my own heart, is it possible today for a group of people to behave in this manner, the way we see this people doing here? And I say, yes, of course it is. It's very possible that a group of people, which is of course made up of individuals, to think today that our Lord is delayed in His coming. Just as the Israelites thought about Moses coming back down the mountain, right? But you see, we today, we can understand from the Scriptures the reason why the second coming of our Lord may, take, may be taking this amount of time. In the book of 2 Peter, it speaks of the return of Jesus Christ. And in verse 9 of 2 Peter 3, it says that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that is a good enough reason for me, for the Lord to delay his coming. People need to repent. People need to come to the Lord. People need to be born again of the Spirit so that they will not perish, but rather have everlasting life. His delay is a result, when you think about it, his delay is a result of his great love for all of mankind. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants people to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord and be saved, right? But I can't help but wonder how many of us can turn away from Jesus and turn to other gods while all of this time goes by of Him not returning, of the Lord not returning. Is it possible just to get all wrapped up and all consumed and distracted by simply sitting down to eat and rising up to play like it says about the uh, children of Israel here. You know, Moses delayed his coming. 
What's up with this man? Where is he at? When's he coming back? We need other gods. We need something else to serve. He's delaying his coming. And they just go and create their own gods. And then they uh, sit down to eat and they rise up to play, spending so much time on entertainment and self-gratification. Right? It's, it's, it's amazing how we can read a story like this and really apply it to our modern day times today. Right, And we could begin... If we're not careful, we can begin to live like the Lord is slacking. Or maybe He's not really coming at all. Begin to think, well, we don't know what has become of Him, just like the Israelites here. We don't know what's become of this Moses. He's been up that mountain. He's not come back. We don't know what's become of Him, right? But 2 Peter 3.10 tells us that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And then verse 11 of 2 Peter 3 goes on to say, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So I believe that we today need to be careful not to begin to think like these Israelites did, nor to act in the manner in which they did. You see, we know the story with these people, right? We've been studying it. They were led out of bondage, this bondage that they were under. They were led out of this bondage by this man named Moses. And, And they had seen firsthand the power of God in many different ways in their lives. As we've been studying Exodus, we've seen that. We've seen all that God did in a mighty way on their behalf. But they were going through this period of time where they didn't know when or even if this man, Moses, that had set them free from their bondage, they didn't know whether he was coming back at all. But they had no excuse, right? Just as the person today would have no excuse to turn away from Christ in the way that they live their lives today. You see, if someone has tasted the heavenly gift and has become a partaker of the Holy Spirit and they've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then there is no excuse for that person, not for you, not for me, to turn away. We need to stay the course, right? while the Lord's coming is delayed. And remember, there's a a purpose for it. He wants people to get saved. He wants the gospel to be going forth now throughout all the world and disciples being made, right? But we have exhortations throughout all of the word of God that say, stay the course, stay the course, stay the course. You know, finish the race. Don't give in. But nor is there any excuses, right, for us to make God's for ourself, right, in this life by beginning to trust in things that will someday all just burn up. Things like money, retirement plans, stock options, right, business endeavors of all sorts, material things, right? We can't put our trust in these things. We can't make gods out of these things. Remember what the children of Israel are doing, taking the very gold of their earrings and everything and burning it to make a god. 
You know, and, and in our day and age, we can put so many things up in our lives to distract us from knowing the true God and serving the true God. And it takes away our attention from the true God. You see, the kingdom of God to which the born-again believer belongs is not made up of these things. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we are to live out our time here on this earth as pilgrims and strangers in this present day and age. In other words, just passing through, okay? Not setting up shop here. This is not our home. This is not what it's all about for us as born-again believers in Christ. We have a place where we're going, right? You see, when I quoted to you earlier from 2 Peter 3, and I quoted verse 11, I'll read it again. It says, Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And that is a question that I believe demands an answer from our souls, right? How should we be living if everything that we now see is going to be burned up and dissolved? How should we be living this life? Now, since I'm quoting to you so much here from Second Peter, uh, let's go ahead and turn there. Go ahead and mark this page. I want you to read this for yourself. I'm going to kind of go over it again with you, but I want this to sink in, but I want you to see it yourself as well. Second uh, Peter chapter 3 in the New Testament. And let's just go ahead and start reading in verse 1. So 2 Peter 3, 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Now, pause right there for a moment, because quite frankly, what I am doing here this morning with this teaching is exactly what Peter is talking about here in verse 1. I am deliberately trying to stir us all up here this morning by way of exhortation and bringing to our remembrance something, reminding us of something, right? We need to be often reminded of how we should be living as born-again citizens of the kingdom of God. People that have come to faith in Jesus Christ are, should be a people that live differently than all the rest of the world without Christ is living, right? So Peter goes on here and he says in verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So you see, there's a whole bunch of witnesses that Peter is speaking of here. Not only did the prophets of old speak about the coming of Christ. But Peter is saying here that he and the other apostles of the Lord also gave us commandments from the Lord. And we have all of this in our Bibles today, divided up as the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we are therefore to read and to learn from both Testaments, right? The writings of the prophets, the Old Testament, and the writings of the apostles of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. In both places, we get the commandments of God. 
and we get instructions on how we should be living. Okay, But what is it here that Peter wants us to know? Well, he goes on here in verse 3 to say, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Now, what does that mean? Well, that simply means that people decide to live as they want to live, to have and to get what they want to get. It's about their own lust. It's about their own desires, going after what they want, gaining all that they can, right? Verse 4 says, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? So they're living in such a way that, well, I'm not worried about that. I'm getting my own. I'm doing what I want now. I'm buying and selling and getting gain, and I'm doing all these things. Where's the promise of his coming? I'm not worried about that, right? Because they go on to say, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But he says in verse 5, for this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. So Peter is saying here, really? You see, if Peter spoke in the 21st century vernacular, that's what he would be saying here. Really? Have things really continued on? The same as from the beginning of creation? Really? Are, are you forgetting about the judgment? Are you forgetting about the flood where everything that existed on the earth perished? You see, we can indeed be sure that there is a time of judgment coming again when the Lord returns. And that's what Peter's pointing out in this chapter, right? In verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So guess what? There will be another time of total destruction for this earth as we now know it. That's why we say it'll all be burned up. A time of judgment, just as there was that great flood. The people during the time of the flood, what did they do? They mocked Noah. They said, really? Really, Noah? Uh, rain? What's, what's rain? Right? That ain't going to happen. Laugh out loud. This is all the vernacular of today, right? So, so they just went about living their lives with whatever gods they created for themselves doing whatever they decided to do on a, on a daily basis, just as people today are doing, buying and selling and getting gain and planning their own lives without seeking the Lord first, right? Following in the ways of their traditions, their, maybe their religions, focused on uh, living however and wherever they want to live, right? Partying, recreating with no thought, of a coming judgment, mocking the Bible, and even changing the Bible to suit themselves and coming up with books of their own. Our society today has decided that we need the scriptures removed from 
our education systems from our government buildings, right? We need the Bible removed from that. They say that we need to be tolerant of all the gods of all the people. They teach psychology and the denial of the living God in our universities today. We live in self-centered world today where we are told to be all that we can be, right? To follow your own dreams, follow your own emotions. It's, it's all about you, right? Our government for years now has made laws and passed, passed laws that have spit in the face of the Word of God, right? And are we playing any part in this, right? Are you and I considering what manner of life we're living today? What manner of life should we be living now if we know the last days are coming, right? In godliness and holiness. Peter is giving us a strong reminder here by saying, don't forget the day of judgment is coming. And he is speaking to believers in this letter, right? But when is it that the Lord is coming again. When will the day of judgment be? The fact is, we don't know. But the commandments of our Lord continue through Peter here in verse 8, where he says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Now, notice, like I said, who Peter is talking to here. Beloved, the beloved, right? In other words, he's talking to believers. That's who this letter was written to. Not the non-believers, He's talking to saints, right? Those that profess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of all. You and me here today, that's who this is speaking to. He is addressing how we should be living. And he says here, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering Toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. You see, all the great statues of all the great men and women, all of the works of the hands of mankind, your retirement accounts, your homes, your vehicles, your toys, your boats, your jewelry, everything that you work hard for or you have inherited in this life will all burn up, right? Even your Facebook, it'll all burn up, right? And in verse 11, it says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, this is the Scripture I've quoted a couple of times. I want you to see it. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That's the question that I said we need to answer within ourselves. This is the exhortation to think about this morning. Where are we today? How are we, you and me, how are we doing when it comes to holiness and godliness. Not how are we doing when it comes to our financial situations or our health or anything like that, but we're talking about holiness and godliness. Have you thought about it in a while? Have you thought about holiness or godliness in the past week? 
in the past month, in, in the past year? How much does holiness and godliness matter to us by comparison to all the other things that we spend our time focused on, right? We of all people, that is those of us that profess faith in Jesus Christ, we should be, as verse 12 says here, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see, that's our great hope right there. This is why we now are to walk by faith and not by sight with this present time we now live in. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. Not be like everyone else in the world that doesn't know Christ, right? Gathering things up and storing up things as if this is our home, if this is our eternal home, right? The things that God has prepared for us are not here on this earth right now, but rather are in the new heavens and in the new earth, like it says there in verse 13, in which righteousness dwells. And then verse 14 says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. So do you see that? The Christian life is not a walk in the park. It's a life that requires diligence, right? We should be diligently focused on being a people of peace, unspotted by this world, and blameless. You see, again, just as the children of Israel were delivered from bondage and from a slavery, we too have been delivered from something. We've been delivered from the bondage of sin and death. We have been redeemed out of this world right? And our Lord is indeed coming again. And we are now awaiting that time. And we have been given instructions, given commandments from the Word of God here. And we have the Spirit of God indwelling us in order that we might not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what Galatians 5.16 tells us. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And again, be reminded of this, that our Lord has a reason that His coming is delayed. And Peter repeats this in verse 15, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So you see, that's something we need to keep in mind as well. People do twist the scriptures. That's why I always remind you to study for yourself the word of God. Don't just listen to me or any other Bible teacher on the face of the earth, no matter how popular their name may be, okay? Because I am not your Moses. There is no such thing today. And there, because there is no Moses between you and God today. 
as there always has been, it is today, there's only one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for Him to return? Are you eager for Him to return? Are you living like you should be for His return? Verse 17, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness. And remember, who's he writing to? Christians. And you can fall from your steadfastness, being led away with the error of the, the wicked. Okay? So he's warning us here not to fall from being steadfast, telling us to be careful that we're not led away with the error of the wicked. So we need to know and study the Scriptures and know God's will for our lives. Verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So as we saw back in Exodus chapter 32, the children of Israel decided not to be steadfast not to be diligent. And they entertained themselves and they made for themselves gods of gold, right? Again, can that happen to us? Yes, it can. That's why Peter has to warn us to not let it happen, right? Now, I really should just stop this message here for today, but but I'm going to continue on here looking back at Exodus chapter 32. I say I should stop it here for today because There's a lot of meat in what I just said, a lot to think about on how we should live, you know, and how we should be living. But back in Exodus chapter 32 and picking it up in verse uh, 7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them? to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. So first of all, right, we see here, and we wonder just how it is in in these verses that we read, right, that, that Aaron could give in to 
and come up with such an idea as this, right? But bringing this again into our modern day age, I can't help but wonder why so many elders of the church today have allowed for the world to be brought in to their congregations today, right? Making the church a house of profit, not P-R-O-P-H-E-T, but P-R-O-F-I-T, right? A place to get a paycheck, a place of entertainment, a country club, a movie theater, a conference center, a seminar house. That's what the churches seem to be yielding to in many ways today. I believe personally that before this world is judged, there will be a judgment that begins with the body of Christ. And that is why we see the warnings that we do here in the pages of Scripture. Again, we are called to godliness, to holiness, to righteous living, to sound doctrine that is found in the pages of the Bible. Now, as it pertains to this story we see here in Exodus 32, I encourage you to take some time later today to read Deuteronomy chapter 9. There you will find Moses' account account of this story that we're reading here in Exodus. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 9. There you will find, when you read Deuteronomy chapter chapter 9, as it pertains to Aaron, that God was actually going to destroy Aaron for what he did. But Moses, we're not told here in this chapter, but we are told in Deuteronomy 9 that Moses prayed for Aaron as well, and God relented. You see, we've seen a few different times as we've studied Exodus that Moses is a type or an Old Testament example of Christ. And many times you'll find that Moses interceded on behalf of the people, just as we saw him do here, right? This is what we just saw him do. He interceded in prayer on behalf of the, or talking to the Lord on behalf of these people. And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it tells us of Jesus that he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus always lives to make intercession for us just as we see Moses did on behalf of Aaron, just as we see Moses doing on behalf of the people here, right? But the story continues on here in verse 15 and says, And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' Moses's anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Wow, so we see that Joshua must have met Moses on his descent down from the mountain. 
And as they're coming down, Joshua hears this noise coming from the camp of the children of Israel. And he's wondering, what is this? Is there a war going on? It doesn't sound like victory. It doesn't sound like a defeat, right? Then they see the people and what they're doing, and this infuriates Moses. And he slams the tablets of stone to the ground, and they break at the foot of the mountain. Now, he had just pleaded with God to turn away from his wrath. But now Moses himself couldn't stand the sight of the children of Israel turning their backs on God. Again, remember, read Deuteronomy chapter 9 for more details on us. But verse 20 says, Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? You see, don't think that Aaron wasn't to blame because he was. But the people as well, they desired other gods. They desired to party and to live how they wanted to live, right? To sit down to eat and to rise up to play. It was all about entertainment. It was all about a good life, the best life now, right? Getting all that they could, right? But pastors and elders and leaders of the congregation today should not put themselves in a position where they give in to what the people want. Instead, leaders in the body of Christ today should, from time to time, give people something bitter to drink, right? Like Moses does here, right? To remind them of how they should be living and not be living. And that's what I said in the beginning here was my aim in this teaching, that we would think about it. You know, this is not a fluffy kind of message. This is not a, hey, you're all doing good. This is a questioning kind of message. How are you living? How's your holiness, your, your godliness, your righteousness? How's that, right? So Aaron said in verse 22, So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. He's telling the truth so far. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and this calf came out. <laughs> right? Yeah, right, Aaron, right? You stinking liar. He says here that all he did was simply cast this gold into the fire and this calf came out. Well, look back at verse 4. It says, speaking of Aaron in verse 4, And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Does that sound like he just threw it in the fire or he put some work into it, right? Sound to me like he knew what he was doing and he labored over it. How many times, though, can we try to use that excuse when it comes to sin? Oh, I don't know what happened. I don't know why this turned out to be this way or that way. That's the nature of people, right? But the question is, really? Really? You don't know how this just happened. 
You made these choices, you did this, you put this effort into it, and you don't know why you're getting this result. Really? Let's read on, verse 25. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies, right? So again, Aaron shoulders a lot of the blame here. Aaron was to be a leader, right? That led the people in the way of what? Holiness and godliness. But he failed to, to be that leader. Verse 26, Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Well, guess what? Aaron was a son of of Levi. So here he was given the opportunity to repent along with the others, to decide to turn from their sin and come on the Lord's side and to stand on the Lord's side. And people are still, by the grace of God today, being given that opportunity in our present day and age. To, do, to those that will hear this teaching today, you all have the opportunity to turn from sin and to turn to the living God. Jesus is calling. He's calling you to repentance, right? Just as Moses called out here, Jesus is calling and saying, do you want to come and stand on the side of the Lord? If so, then repent and come and stand with the Lord. There is intercession being made for you right now. Moses interceded for Aaron, and Aaron was not destroyed for his sin. But you must know this today, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So there's opportunity for people to come still and stand on the side of the Lord. Let's look at the wages of sin for this people. What was the wages of sin for this people? Verse 27. And he said to them, right? That is Moses said to them that repented and came and stood on the Lord's side. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men and people fell that day. So the wages of sin is de death, and sin must be destroyed. There is penalty for sin. There is judgment for sin that is coming, right? E even in the future, that sin, sin will be judged. So do you really think that you can make whatever choices you want today and that there will be no consequences? Really? Again, I, I quoted to you just a moment ago from Romans 6.23 where it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Make sure that you realize today that there is a right side and a wrong side to stand on today. There's a right choice and a wrong choice, right? And I'm not only talking to unbelievers when I say that, just like Peter was writing to believers. Verse 29, Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed 
a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Now, who has made atonement for your sin and for my sin today? Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? Not your church, not your pastor, not your priest. Jesus and Jesus alone. And we are called to be consecrated to the Lord. That means to be set apart to Him, right? For His will to be done in our lives. Jesus has interceded for us just as we see Moses did for the children of Israel. Here in verse 31, it says, Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. You see, Moses was willing to sacrifice himself for the sin of the people. So do you see what I mean when I say that Moses was an example of Jesus Christ? Right? And verse 33, And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, so that's the decision the Lord made right there. No, Moses, you're not being blotted out. But whoever sins against me, they will be blotted out. Now, therefore, go lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Now you see, there's the big difference right there. Moses may have been a type or an example of Jesus Christ, but he was not the Christ. Only Jesus could truly make and has truly made once and for all an atonement for the sin of mankind. But without Jesus, you will be punished, for the wages of sin is death. But with Jesus, the gift of God is eternal life. Do you want to receive that gift and stand on the side of the Lord? But if you think that you can live how you want to live, right, sin as much as you want to sin and still be saved, all I have to say to that is, Really? (laughs) Really? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth, Lord. Your word cuts deep within. Your word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart, Lord. Let your word have your way within us, Lord. Show us what your will is for our lives. Show us where you desire for us to be, Lord. I pray for all of us here and for those that will listen to this teaching that it will be our desire to live in holiness, to live in godliness, to live in righteousness, to stand on your side, Lord, to fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Again, we just acknowledge you in this day Your will to be done in the coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.